1 Samuel 2, 12-17 begins with a scathing comment. The text reads, Now the sons of Eli were useless men. They did not know the Lord. The text does not say that the sons of Eli did not believe in God. If that's what was meant, the Hebrew word used would have been aman. Aman connotes belief, trust, or even confidence. This was the word used of Abraham, for instance, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, which says, Then he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. But again, the text of 1 Samuel has not accused Eli's sons of being atheists. They're not described as fools who said in their hearts, There is no God. Eli's sons have been accused of not knowing God. The Hebrew word used here is yada. Yada is often used in the First Testament to describe comprehension, and sometimes even intimacy. It can be used euphemistically to imply sexual intercourse between a man and a woman, but it's most often used to describe a state of understanding or comprehending someone or something. 1 Samuel 2, 12-17 begins by telling us that Eli's sons were literally sons of Belial, who did not know God. We might recall that earlier in 1 Samuel, Hannah was concerned that Eli might consider her a daughter of Belial when he mistook her fervent praying for drunkenness. The phrase generally referred to someone who is empty or not useful, so it's oftentimes translated worthless or scoundrel. In this case, we're told in what ways Eli's sons were sons of Belial. They were not drunkards, as Eli had thought Hannah to be. They were not divisive people, as the sons of Belial who criticized the choice of Saul as the first king of Israel in 1 Samuel 10.27 would be described. And they were not ungrateful and inhospitable as Nabal, another person described as a son of Belial, would be to David in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Eli's sons were sons of Belial in that they did not know the Lord. What does it mean to know God? Perhaps no biblical author has been clearer on what it means to know God than the Apostle John. We find the following explanation in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-6, through 6, and chapter 4, verses 7-21. through 21. The Apostle wrote this, By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever follows his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him, the one who says that he remains in him ought himself also walk just as he walked. Moving on to chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let's love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. By this the love of God was revealed in us, that God has sent his only Son into the world so that we may live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we remain in him and he in us, because he has given to us of his Spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. 
By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, we also are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and yet he hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother and sister whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. In these verses, the Apostle John has brought together many scriptural threads. Essentially, John has explained that those who know God live differently than those who do not know God. Those who know God, for John, keep God's commandments, walk as Jesus walked, and love both God and their neighbors. This revelation of God through John did not begin with John. John has described what the scripture as a whole has always explained as the knowledge of God. Those who know God walk with God. The very first person described in this way in the Bible was a man by the name of Enoch. We know very little about him except that he walked with God. The text of Genesis says the following, Now Enoch lived sixty-five years and fathered Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God three hundred years after he fathered Methuselah, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty-five years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Traditionally, this description of Enoch has been understood to imply that Enoch did not die, but that God took him directly into the heavens, as would later happen to the prophet Elijah. Those who know God walk with God. That is, they walk in step with God. That image is actually older even than the record of Enoch. Before Adam and Eve joined the serpent's rebellion in the Garden of Eden by eating from the tree of knowledge, the text of Genesis suggests that God often walked in the garden with them. After they rebelled against him, Genesis says, Now they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Ever afterwards, hiding from God became more common than walking with him. The sons of Eli were sons of Belial, that is, they were of no benefit to those around them. This is hardly surprising, since they did not know God. But do we have to take 1 Samuel's word on that? Is that just a contextless judgment that we are meant to accept without evidence? Of course not. The text of 1 Samuel 2 verses 12 through 17 continues, And this was the custom of the priests with the people. When anyone was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was cooking with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Everything that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. They did so in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. And before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest the meat for roasting, as he will not take cooked meat from you, only raw. And if the man said to him, They must burn the fat first, then take as much as you desire. Then he would say, No, but you must give it to me now, and if not, I'm taking it by force. And so the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord disrespectfully. The conclusion that Eli's sons were sons of Belial, who did not know God, was evidenced by the way they were walking. They were not walking with God. As the Apostle John would later explain to us, by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, 
and the truth is not in him. According to Leviticus chapter 7, verses 28 through 36, the priests were to receive the breast and the right thigh of sacrificial animals. And Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 3 through 5 also included the shoulder, the jowls, or the cheeks, and the stomach. In any case, the covenant of Sinai stipulated what parts of the animal should be claimed by the priests. Furthermore, Leviticus chapter 7, verse 31 also stipulated that the priest was to burn up all the fat on the altar. For, as had already been said in Leviticus chapter 3, verse 16, the priest shall offer them up in smoke on the altar as food, an offering by fire as a soothing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. It is a permanent statute throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. You shall not eat any fat or any blood. But Eli's sons did not know God. If they had known God, they would have kept his commandments. As again the Apostle John has later taught us, the one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. This careless disobedience made Eli's sons sons of Belial, that is, worthless to their community and to God. They lived into a reality about which Jesus warned his own disciples in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. To put it in the terms of 1 Samuel, to become tasteless salt is to become a son of Belial. Even more, tasteless salt, sons of Belial, do not know God. Do you know God? Do I know God? Now, God is not asking us in this text if we believe in God. That's a different question. Countless multitudes throughout history have believed in gods and goddesses, higher powers, cosmic principles, and so on. The question put to us by this text is not a question of belief. Now, of course, I'm not suggesting that belief is unimportant. As we saw earlier, God considered the belief, the trust that Abraham placed in him as righteousness. That's not nothing. Even more, the Apostle Paul has declared the essentialness of belief in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 11, when he wrote, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Belief is, of course, essential. To expand that confession even further, Paul also wrote the following in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-9, through 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The salvation of Jesus by which God delivers us from slavery to the twin tyranny of sin and death has come by the grace of God, and we receive it by faith, by believing in his work, by trusting in his way. As I've said, belief in the trust implied therein is essential. However, Paul did not stop there in Ephesians 2. The text continues in verse 10 with these words, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The result of the grace of God which has been received through faith in him is good works, 
which have been described again as walking in obedience. And now we're back to the Apostle John. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. God did not save us because we walked with him. As Paul has confessed in Romans chapter 5, verses 6-8, through 8, while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for the good person someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Nevertheless, those who have come to trust God by the grace he has shown to us by dying for us while we were still sinners, come to know him, and by that knowledge, to walk with him by obeying him. Believing in God and trusting in him, that is having faith in him, is the beginning. And it's not a beginning we earned by works or righteousness of our own. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To bring that back to Israel, while the Israelites were still slaves in Egypt, God delivered them by grace. All they needed to do was trust him by doing as he asked and going where he sent them. God defeated the Egyptians by himself, just as Jesus conquered sin and death by himself. The Israelites came to Sinai by grace, through faith, just as we have come to salvation by grace, through faith. So in asking, do you know God, I'm not asking about belief. That question assumes belief. I'm asking a follow-up question to the question of belief. Having believed, where have we gone from there? And does it matter? In the case of Eli's sons, they did not proceed to walk with God. In that way, they failed to know God. And by failing to know God, they, like tasteless salt, became sons of Belial. Or, in Jesus' words, no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. Rather than being benefits to their neighbors, they became obstacles to those who wished to follow God. And so 1 Samuel warns us, The sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord disrespectfully. Do you know God? Do I know God? Are you walking with Him by obeying His commandments? Am I walking with Him by obeying His commandments? And what are the commandments of God? The commandments of God are all the requirements and instructions of God preserved in the Christian scriptures as interpreted and applied by the life, ministry, and example of Jesus. Therefore, the question more poignantly is, are you walking as Jesus walked? Am I walking as Jesus walked? Well, do we have to know God in this way? Can't we just believe in God and trust him? Isn't it sufficient to have come to Sinai? Isn't it sufficient to be rescued? Isn't that enough? No, it is not. As John has reminded us, by this we know that we are in him. The one who says that he remains in him ought himself also walk just as he walked. By using this language of remaining in Jesus, John has hearkened us back to Jesus' own teachings in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Jesus said these things to his disciples. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me, 
and I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Do you know God? Are you walking as Jesus walked? Are you a friend of Jesus? Are you proving that you are his disciple? Are you remaining in him? These are all different ways of asking the same question. One can be saved and still not remain in Jesus. This was the case with Eli and his sons. They were descendants of the high priest Aaron, the brother of Moses. They were no longer slaves of the Egyptians. In the days of their ancestors, God had delivered them from their bondage to Egypt, by grace, through faith, not by works so that no one could boast. Similarly, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before any of us were born or had done anything good or bad, by the life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, God set us free from the tyranny of sin and death. We have joined that mighty throng coming out of Egypt by faith, by trust in Him. But the question that was then put to the Israelites has also been put to us. Where will you go from here? As Enoch, will you proceed to walk with God until you are no more? As Abraham, will you too be called a friend of God? As Jesus asked, Will you now deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him? Will you obey his commandments? Will you walk as Jesus walked? Will you come to know him even as now he fully knows you? Will you remain in him? Many were delivered from slavery in Egypt, who did not continue in faith by following God into the promised land. Eli and his sons were such people. Even having been delivered from slavery in Egypt, as a dog returns to its vomit, so they return to disobedience and faithlessness. May the same not be said of us. The Apostle Paul has instructed Christians as to how to read these stories from the First Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-13, through 13, the Apostle instructs us in this way, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea, and they were and they all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for their dead bodies were spread out in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they indeed craved them. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Nor are we to commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. 
Nor are we to put the Lord to the test, as some of them did, and were killed by the snakes. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let the one who thinks he stands watch out that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except something common to mankind, and God is faithful, so he will not allow you to be to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Let us receive the teaching of Jesus in John chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. We must do as Jesus has said, and we must walk as Jesus has walked. Having been saved by grace through faith, Those who know God then walk with him through the waters of adversity into the promised land of the new heavens and the new earth. My prayer is that we are not among those who shrink back and so are lost, as Eli's sons were, but are among those who have faith and so are saved. Amen.